Hello, you're very welcome to our final episode of F&I Rap Chat for the year of 2020. What a year. What a year. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, God. Uh, how's everybody doing? I'm sure everybody's pretty punch drunk with everything that's going on. Or if you're not punch drunk, you're most definitely drunk uh, by the time you've listened listen to this. How's Paul Webster doing? I'm good, yeah, yeah. It's a crazy year, but a busy year and healthy and so can't complain too much um <laughs> you know yeah it's if, if, if ever the phrase uh any day above ground is a good day it's applicable to 2020 i hope everybody's okay um that listens to the show but more importantly i hope your loved ones um are okay and uh, you're in a good uh, frame of mind and we do hope that you enjoyed our content over the last kind of year we're incredibly uh, appreciative to the likes of screen skills ireland our sponsors wildcard distribution octavid.com film equipment store and just uh, all of our tutors including Paul Webster sitting across <laughs> from me um, who have helped us with the FNI Connect series but also with the FNI at Home series that we did at the start of the year in the first lockdown um, we appreciate your contributions on Boy as a Coffee it's kept everything kind of running um, it's going to help us into the future in order to buy equipment and travel and do all those lovely things that we want to do in order to bring you the content that you want to listen to so thank you very much for that. Yeah, um, and the feedback that we have been getting has been incredible. Um, I think people really seem to appreciate, I think, the podcast more, more than ever. I, I think just being able to um, keep connected with uh, other filmmakers and hearing other filmmakers' stories in a year when festivals are gone, meetups are gone, mm-hmm. um, you know, end of year Christmas parties, you know, with distribution companies and funders and that, those are all gone. Um, so I think pod, the podcast has been there to kind of, you know, uh, keep following those stories and those experiences um, that we've been missing out on this year and hopefully we'll get back to that next year. Yeah, very much so. I think um, I think just even from a very selfish point of view, um, doing the podcast and, and doing our online events has been incredible. Um, for ourselves, it's kept us busy. Obviously, we have other things that we do, but it's um, it's 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 really gratifying to do this type of work, especially when people engage in it. And some of the wonderful feedbacks and feedback and testimonials and kind words, you know, even on the street sometimes, and then in in text on our website and on Buy Me a Coffee when people have bought us coffees and stuff. It's been it makes it all worthwhile, um, yeah. particularly as we you know as FNI expands into the next kind of year, yeah. five years. Yeah, and like everyone, you know, we had to adjust, and there were new challenges. So we appreciate your patience, and you know, we didn't have our studio, so we had to uh, try Zoom and Skype, and going back to doing interviews in our houses and stuff like that again, or people's houses, or you know, where we could get them. Um, mm. So that was all tricky, but we we did our best. Yeah. So sorry about the basically what Paul is trying to say. Sorry about the sound quality on some of the podcasts, but we will endeavour to improve that now as as time goes on. God knows. I mean, there may be a new, another lockdown announced again. This goes out uh, over the Christmas period. But most importantly, we just want to say on behalf of myself, Paul, uh, myself, Paul. That oh, that's me uh, and the, the well, other Paul <laughs> and the other Paul, the two Pauls, uh, Sean O'Malley, uh, Mia Malarkey. Um, and our brand new host, Remy uh, Michelle Clark, who we're delighted to welcome to the team. Um, now, this is a very special podcast. Um, something uh, that 
from a personal perspective, we want I wanted to do, and I, I engaged with Remy about this podcast early on. Um, um, Nika McGuigan was an actor, uh, an Irish, an, a UK slash Irish uh, actor, um, who studied at the Gaiety School of Acting at the same time when I was there, a lot, fifteen years ago. Uh, subsequently, she went on to work um, uh, consistently in Irish film and TV. Um, she and has built a reputation and had built a reputation as a fine young actress who was certainly on the up. Um, those of you who know Nika McGuigan will will verify that. This podcast is um, is our little way of just trying to pay a small tribute to Nika and her body of work while she was with us. Sadly, sadly, she passed away um, about a year, year and a half ago uh, to cancer. Um, and we just wanted to mark that in some way. And I engaged with uh, with um, Remy to bring together some people, some of our colleagues, some friends and some of our classmates to try to encapsulate, um, you know, a little bit of her public perception, how she was perceived and to try to um, um, highlight uh, just the wonderful light that she was in a lot of people's lives. And we wanted to do a special podcast, and Remy has gathered some amazing people um, to do that, some colleagues and, like I said, some friends and classmates. And we wanted to mark that in some way. And we particularly wanted to put it out at Christmas time just to uh, just to highlight the great work that she did. And her final performance will be in Cathy Brady's um, latest feature, which... Is out. When's it? I think it's. I think it's out in January or February. Um. So, keep an eye out for that when it comes out. Um. We're really. Yeah, we were all. I think shocked by the news at the time. Um. And we want to welcome, uh, on a positive note, Remy to the team because Remy is a fantastic voiceover artist, uh, uh, writer, uh, and screenwriter. Um, on on the up screenwriter, so we're really delighted to welcome her to the team, and we yeah. really hope that you enjoyed this podcast. That was a big development this year. Was bringing uh, new sorry, w- wildfire. I meant to say wildfire. Excuse wildfire. me. <laughs> uh, that, yeah, that was our the big departure um, for us this year. Was bringing more presenters into the fold, and it's it's working out great. Um, so yeah, huge thank to thank you to our new presenters, and um, you know we're we're an open shop here the more people the better um so we we will have new voices and we just want to keep growing the podcast and um you know reaching more people so uh we really appreciate all the support that we we get from our presenters our listeners everyone uh involved with the show mm-hmm. so i think we'll hand it over to remy to say a few words about her friend and colleague Nika mcguigan Hello and welcome to this special Film Network Ireland podcast celebrating the life and work of actress Nika McGuigan. As well as being a deeply kind, loving and funny person who was devoted to her family and friends, Nika was a gifted actress. 
Sadly, she died in 2019, aged 33, while her final film, the critically acclaimed Wildfire that debuted at the virtual Toronto International Film Festival this year, was in post-production. This podcast is in honour of her talent and her importance to Irish film. Nika was christened Danika, which means morning star, and this podcast is in honour of her star quality and her importance to Irish film. My name is Remy Michelle Clark, a friend of Nika's since our wide-eyed drama school days in the early 2000s, and I'll be leading you through. Over the next short while, I'll be talking to those who worked with a new Nika, from her early days training in the Gaiety School of Acting to more recent times working with award-winning directors and actors. One thing was constant from speaking to those who had the privilege of knowing Nika. She was unforgettable. Joining me in remembering her today will be Dead Still director Imogen Murphy, who worked with Nika on the second season of RTE BBC3 drama comedy Can't Cope, Won't Cope, writer-director Wiebke von Karlsfeld, the director of Stay, and voice coach, actor and artistic director of Mouth on Fire, Cahill J. Quinn, who coached Nika and I in the Gaiety School of Acting some 16 years ago. Shortly after Nika passed away, I wrote a short poem and I wanted to share this with you. Coat. If him and her and them and I got together in one large room and each told the story of you, from the first flickering breath to the last, and pieced you together, all the shadows you kept in different pockets in the one large coat. Perhaps still, the light would stay. I think that this is probably what we're trying to do with this podcast, and what I think many of us who loved and love Nika are probably doing every day. First up, I spoke to director Imogen Murphy, who worked with Nika on the second season of Can't Cope, Won't Cope. Imogen spoke about her first impression of Nika and what it was like to work with her and Shauna on an already established show and relationship. She also spoke of the wonderful family atmosphere that Nika brought with her to set and how she united and brought together the cast and crew while she was working. And I wonder, um, you've probably already answered this question, but I just want to know if you can rewind back to the first moment you met Nika. What was your very first impression of her? I think my first impression of Nika on first meeting her in the flesh was that she was really, really little. (laughs) 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 You know, know, uh, she was, I'm not the tallest person. And Nika was a bit shorter than me. Yeah. <laughs> um, but seriously, beyond that was was just her curiosity, actually. I mean, look, I first met her and it was to talk about a project. We didn't just meet, you mm-hmm. know, at a social occasion. Yeah. But she really wanted to investigate things. She, you know, I suppose she wanted to investigate me. She she hadn't worked with me before and my thoughts on the project. Mm-hmm. But um, once we were through that initial, uh, you know, get getting to know each other, she was so curious about everything. Um, mm. And I could see that, she, you know, she was curious about the restaurant we were sitting in. She was chatting to the waitress about 
something to do with the food because yeah. she was you know, she was really into eating well and all this kind of yes stuff. um <laughs> so she just had a, she had a huge curiosity and by the end of probably I don't know two hour meeting or something uh when we left um it was like you know a, a big hug and I felt like already we're kind of friends on this thing on on this project we were doing together yeah. you, you would walk away from a meeting with Mika like that feeling good yeah, not feeling yeah. worried or doubtful about whether someone's going to commit or or how, how they are in fact I think I left that first meeting with Mika feeling really confident about her and excited to you know let, let's uh, let's go and do this thing yeah so she certainly had an amazing ability I think to be totally honest and be herself but you know try to kind of give you and show you that that positivity yeah and intelligence she was going to bring to the thing how was it that you first met Nika or how did you come to know each other um I first met Nika when we met to discuss uh, a second series of Can Cope Won't Cope um the show which uh starred Nika and uh, Shauna Kerslake so I actually met with both of them and um we just sat down over brunch and discussed the characters um, and Nika in particular really, really wanted to investigate her character mm -hmm. um, beyond the script, which is great for, for a director because it's all about the layers that sometimes aren't on the page. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, Nika loved to do that. She loved to chat about character and backstory. And from that first meeting, we went on to have so many more, even if it was Skypes or, you know, um, phone calls. And um, I always knew if I had a meeting scheduled with Nika to talk about work, um, to leave at least, you know, half an hour on the end of it for chats and stuff <laughs> like that. Because she was a great talker. Um, and it was so enjoyable talking to her. She was um, she was very uh, intelligent about, about her work and about character and about subtext in the script. Um, she she really wanted to delve deeper. And I, and I, you know, what is great, I'm sure for the other directors who've worked with her is she wanted to do that with the director. Um, certain actors, of course, want to do a lot of their own internal process and then bring it out and see, see what everybody thinks. But Nika loved to discuss in advance uh, everything there could be to be discussed about a character. So that was, it was actually very, very enjoyable part of, of my work on that show, Kanko Bunko, mm. um, was was all those discussions with Nika. Absolutely, because she was very devoted to her work, as she was to anything that she was truly passionate about. And I'm sure that you saw that when you were working with her. Um, yeah, I did. Uh, you know, for me, looking at Nika uh, as an actor, there's many facets to her, but absolutely one that stood out was her work ethic and how hard she worked um and she would want to turn up you know an, an hour early uh, before a, an early call anyway to just discuss you know a line or something that was bothering her mm -hmm. um and she you know while being very understanding of everyone's time she was very happy to hang around and wait four hours while we finished shooting another scene so that she could just chat about one little thing we were going to do tomorrow so it was totally in service of the script and the project. Um, uh, she definitely, I, I got the sense um, without knowing her family, myself personally, I got the sense some of that work ethic came from Nika's family. Absolutely. Uh, she was very 
her family were a huge part of her life and um, a major influence on her work ethic, as you noticed, and her approach to things, which was never half measured, never um, surface. You know, she, like you say, she wanted to delve deep into everything. And I know from being with her on the other side, you know, that she would often ask me to ring or to call her and do lines with her um, or, you know, whoever she could get, you know. So she she would have a team of actors that she would call on and do lines with them. And if it was certain accents, she would come to me because I've, you know, even though she was incredible at accents, she would still make sure that she did her research as much as possible so that she could uh, do the very, very best job she could. She didn't, she never left any room for error. She made sure that she, she got every base covered. Yeah. Yeah, she, she did. And uh, th this might be outside the podcast, but Remy, I mentioned this uh, to Paul. Um, yours was the name that I heard Nika mention most of her <laughs> friend group. So I, I just had to let you know that. You know, I, I have this kind of constant, Remy, Remy, I was talking to Remy. <laughs> Just to let you know. <laughs> uh, that's lovely to hear. That's and I lovely. mean, it was it's the same for me, you know, I would have talked about her a lot. And I think she did that with everybody, you know, um, who was close to her. She, I'm sure she spoke about her family a huge amount when you were working with her. You know, anyone who wasn't there, who was part of her, the people she loved, uh, they would always go with her everywhere she went, you know, even in in thought form or just because they'd be on her mind and she'd bring them into everything she did, which is um, testament absolutely. To, yeah, testament to a kind of a childlike nature that she had, I think, almost. Did you notice that about her? Um, I, I did. Um, I think on meeting Nika straight away, you saw that, you know, here was actually a very sweet and, and lovable person going alongside her hard work and her talent she did have a kind of um an openness of spirit and, and an embracingness of spirit and she was very very um playful and kind of joyful in a sense um about the smallest thing be it work or be it a funny thing that that happened while while we worked yeah. um yeah i mean in terms in terms of Nika's family, without doubt, she she absolutely brought them with her everywhere. She spoke to me so many times about her family. I know all about her parents' courtship and <laughs> <laughs> getting together and all the stories. Um, yes. She was a great a great storyteller. But she, you know, she talked about the, her family because she loved them so much and because she missed them. And yes. she would literally bring them you know, into our work, we were walking, uh, you know, from costume on the way to set, Nika would grab me over and put me on a, on a Skype call with her little baby nephew, you know, <laughs> yes. chat, here's my director tying, I think she did, she, she was, um, you, you could see that it, it's uh, envious almost to see what a strong relationship someone has with their family, you know, absolutely rock solid. I just thought of her family so, so much over mm -hmm. obviously the last couple of years. It's, it's, um, it, what, what an incredible bond they had. And, and then to see that bond so shaken is, was really, really sad. You know, Nika was such a, a strong personality. Mm. Uh, if she arrived on set, you knew it instantly <laughs> because I she's. Know. She's chatting with the grips 
or she's, you know, discovered uh, something funny on the set that she wants to use or play yeah. with in the scene, um, you knew straight away. She, she never bigged herself up in any way whatsoever. I know. I love that about her, uh, that contrast in her her character, her character, that kind of um, these two sides where she did whenever she entered a room or a space, she did it with a bang. And it wasn't that she was trying to get attention. It's just her nature because she wanted to be so involved and she wanted to soak everything in. And at the same time, almost, yeah, very self-deprecating and um, a quiet confidence, but also quite vulnerable. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, she was very, very positive um, as a person. And, and probably the only time I saw maybe worry in her was when we were discussing the work. And mm -hmm. at times, the confidence you saw, you, you know, you would realize in the work, if there's something bothering her or something in a scene she couldn't grasp, then worry would come out. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I'm I'm happy that almost, I think all of the time, by discussing it, we assuaged that worry because, you know, I knew Nika could do it. I knew Nika was a great talent and, and really got the project we were working on. But for sure, I guess privately, like, like anybody working, she would have concerns or doubts. And you, you know, in, in terms of working with an actor, you can't leave them with those doubts. You need to explore yes. them and, and resolve them. Um but it, it was nice to see that the really almost thoughtful and studious Nika, you know, behind the scenes, the phone calls in the evening to to discuss what's going on. She really cared. She about did. Her work. Absolutely. She did. And again, that comes back to her, her passion for life and her passion for the things that she um, loved and that that she thought were important. And she really felt, you know, she really wanted to do important work. And she never wanted to compromise in how she approached that and what she took on. And she really carefully considered all the projects that she she took on and wanted to make sure that they were kind of aligned with her values of hard work and being able to put all of herself into a character and a, and a project. Yeah, I, I mean, for sure, I think... Um... For me, when I uh, when I think of the work that she she has done, um, and you know, sadly, probably what she would have gone on to have done, mm. she was really creating a path for herself, and um, she didn't want an easy ride. You know, she didn't mm. want to do uh, only the easy projects or where she would be treated like. Um, uh, you know, the bigger budget projects yeah. or only do those kind of scripts, which were maybe less thoughtful. I think she strove after material and work that that was difficult in a sense. She she wanted to challenge herself. Um, absolutely. With doubt. Uh, she absolutely, when I worked with her, she could have gone through it in a much maybe easier way for yeah. herself. The, the results wouldn't have been as good. Mm. And she knew that. So the question for her was push and push and, and uh, try and get the best out of this. So I think she would have gone on to do that in her career. Um, Absolutely. Course, in the, in the, the, the great uh, film she's, she's done with Kathy Brady. Mm. Um, while I know it is sad that she doesn't get to see the acclaim, you know, I'm so happy for, for her and, and, and for, 
for the filmmakers that that was achieved you know it's uh, it is a great testament absolutely and you know she worked on that on so many levels for about five years they as Kathy has explained in her talk about the film they all devised it together or they devised the beginning and then Kathy went away and wrote it she really did manage to put all of that hard work and spirit and passion and uncompromising nature into one piece that that will be her legacy I mean you know I could certainly see working with Nika her her hunger really for mm. for deeper layers uh, of the script and um you know in in terms of talking to an actor um the the more perhaps sometimes out there or left field idea or choice that, that I would offer to Nika, you know, you, you would see her eyes light up and, and she was eating it up. You know, she just mm. loved the the more subtextual stuff. She loved the deep character stuff. And um and then like like I suppose all good actors, she would literally just take it, you know, walk into the scene and suddenly there's something completely fresh happening uh in front of me. So mm. that was really lovely and I I, I wish that I had more time and, and could have gone on to do more projects with Nika because when I saw that on her, I thought, oh, she can, Nika can do much more layered stuff than, than even this kind of yeah, little She always show. wanted the truth of something, didn't yeah. she? She always really yeah. wanted to, to get down to that, like you say, the deepest layer and really access what was really going on. Yeah. Um, and, and she was, and I think that was also because she loved people so much and you saw that in the way she would talk to the grips on the set and she would, you know, involve everyone and everyone would become a long friend, a, lo a lifelong friend for her. And, you know, when she was working on Canco, she would be telling me, oh, you know, the crew are great and all oh, the cast are great and Imogen's great. And, you know, she would be talking about you all with such fondness. Um, and uh, yeah, she never took anything lightly. Yeah, I think um, it's kind of going back to family again. Mm. I think that, you know, we shot Can Cope, uh, Won't Cope in Ireland. Nika's family were all uh, in, in England, so she was separated from them. Um, well, she, I'm sure she was on the phone to them every single day. Mm -hmm. Several times a day. Yeah, <laughs> but I think then what happened was she she did kind of make the crew and obviously the rest of the cast her family. Mm. I could see Nika was someone who kind of wanted to gather people around her. Yes. And um, she wasn't a solitary person who just wanted to sit on their own and um, and and do their kind of work away from from the crew. She she I think felt like, you know, when she was filming with us, we all did become a, a family. And she was one of the people who definitely encouraged and strengthened that family feeling, mm -hmm. which is always you don't always get. But I think it's really nice when you get that on a set. Everyone works a bit better. Everyone cares for each other a bit more. Now, Nico was a person to me who really helped achieve that. Mm. It's really lovely to see. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, mm. And especially because you had already worked with Shauna at that point, but you hadn't worked with Nika and you were coming into a series where uh, their relationship was already established with each other. And what was it like? What was their relationship like to you when you kind of came in and and were introduced to it the first time? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I'd already worked with Shauna Kerslake um, and never with Nika. So and of course, they'd worked together on the show um, and meeting them. You knew they were a complete uh, tag team. This mm -hmm. is it. 
it's one for all and the team of the two of them um which is brilliant because it was just as it should be for those characters uh in, in that story but i mean they definitely played off that bond a few times they could be quite naughty um I was rehearsing with both of them in a car while we waited to get onto set and um, the ADs were calling for us and Nico was, you know, no, we, me and Sean, I want to ask you something really important, Imogen. <laughs> I was kind of like, well, come on, we've discussed it, let's go. And, and I think she'd come out with, who, you know, who in the whole of history would you, would you date if you could date anyone? <laughs> And so I'd have to put my foot down and go, guys, this isn't about, this isn't about the scene. Let's go <laughs> and drag them out of the car and up to set as the two of them giggled away uh, behind me. So, you know, such fun with them. Um, you, you kind of have to corral them sometimes uh, yeah. and get them because <laughs> uh, they wanted to play and have fun. But, um, but oh, you know, two, they're great together. Yeah. And, and two, two great, great friends uh, of each other. Two great well. friends and two great actors. And they worked amazingly well together, both on and off the or both off screen and on screen. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, like two actors who who I think actually are very different as actors, you know, mm. have quite different processes and, and ways of going about things. And um, yet they. Uh, they gelled so well you mm. know they, they worked so well on screen um we shot the main majority of of can cope one cope in in dublin but then there was um uh about a week afterwards where we we went and shot the scenes in vancouver in canada mm. and all those scenes included only nika so this was kind of um well it it, it really annoyed shauna who didn't get to to travel to Canada yes. with us and have a ball <laughs> but it was really interesting for me to to actually just for a week um hang out just for a week hang out with Nika and work with Nika on her own virtually you know there's a few other actors involved but um that to me that's probably the last time I worked with her on that week mm-hmm. and it's the time when I think I really got to know her personally you know kind of on another level we had a few weeks off and then I went over to to film in Canada and just on those those chats where we're like walking back to the hotel after filming and going out for dinner and and stuff like that because we were away together I really got to know Nika um, in another way and she she kind of filled me in on on a lot about her life and Mm -hmm. you know she she would talk about her parents and how how she you know she talked about her mom a lot and how how she I I think you know she said her mother was the most impressive woman she knew and how their bond was getting you know as Nika matured how their bond was was growing even closer Mm -hmm. so that was just lovely and I I really remember that I remember walking down the hill into the 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 center of Vancouver chatting with Nika but one little story about Nika's gutsiness uh on that trip um we uh we had been out for dinner and um I think had a couple of people had stayed on in the restaurant and, and Nika was going home uh, just 20 minutes before the rest of us. Um, and she wandered into a particularly dodgy street in Vancouver, which which we'd already kind of witnessed. And it, it really was, um, it, it's, you know, full of drugs and crime and whatnot, an awful lot of homeless people living there as well. And it was a rough street that we knew not to really venture into, especially mm-hmm. on our own. But Nika turned a corner and stepped into this street. Um, and she said that 
she recounted the story the next day and she said that she she looked in and she thought someone was in trouble with their car they seem to be trying to you know get something from out of the car and then a guy smashes the window next to her and emerges with the radio he's just stolen <laughs> from the car and kind of confronts Nika but Nika being Nika she just kind of went all right and she <laughs> sidestepped him walked off and you know emerged completely unscathed she, she really <laughs> kept her cool and she was gutsy and brave um and she didn't turn hair you know she was no it was a very cool brave girl absolutely and she could probably almost have talked her way out of that situation if it was to take the wrong turn you know charmed her way out with her big smile and big personality for someone so small (laughs) yes exactly she certainly made up for uh, for that in her in her in her personality so yeah that was a that was a kind of uh, a, a lovely experience um and you know, we we worked over there with a Canadian crew, and she was with, within a few days. She was bonding with them as well, you know, mm-hmm. and swapping numbers. And um, you know, she was she was really super to to work with. I could, as I said, I could see myself going on a further adventure mm-hmm. if there had been another project. I could see how how that could work. So yeah, well. and what what do you think she would have done? What kind of project do you think? would have really served her and her talents and her unique way of approaching her work? Well, it's interesting that the two projects certainly that I know Nika most for are Kanko Bunko and Wildfire. Mm. And those There are parallels. There are parallels. Mm. And and it's also very much Nika co-starring with another woman her own age. Um, And really what I saw of Nika, I, I... I certainly saw her being the lead in something where in a sense she didn't have um, a co-star you know to kind of lean on or or a you know a sister or a friend as an either project to lean on um something where she really I, I almost imagine a kind of road movie um mm. set in a perhaps very different circumstance not the reality we have now uh with Nika going on a journey those are the kind of just yeah. just thoughts that that came to me uh, something, something where she, like wild maybe yeah, or well, along those lines exactly where the challenges would be huge because mm-hmm. um I thought Nika could meet those challenges and would know how to approach them in a in a dramatic form you know I knew about Nika you know after we had met for a while she she told me about being very sick as a child mm. and typically of Nika in a completely unself-pitying way uh, where I was kind of talking to her with my mouth hanging open going oh Jesus that's dreadful you had to go through that but in fact Nika's focus was on oh the other kids who were with her I think in yeah. the, the treatment center hospital or whatever it was um, but for me look once I knew that I knew here is a person who apart from this I would say has had a nice life she had a the warmest, most supportive family, nice upbringing, went to a good school, all this kind of stuff. But here she had this this really uh, traumatic thing happen to her. And yeah. I think she had to go through for a period of time when she was very young. And that to me helped explain the core of steel that I thought she had actually. Yeah. And the backbone that I thought she had and the understanding of this human frailty and, and human weakness um so to me I thought well I think I can see in the future Nika being absolutely leading a film mm-hmm. where uh where she is the protagonist and, and has to go up against severe adversity 
um, I thought this is what I can see Nika doing. Absolutely. And she loved um, Shane Meadows as a director and, you know, this is England style films and Samantha Morton was one of her favorite actresses. And I think she really wanted to follow her lead, you know, in terms of doing those kind of projects that Samantha Morton would choose um, very in-depth psychological portraits that she could really dig into and uncover all the layers of a and completely inhabit a world, uh, not just a world, but like a the membrane of another person, you know, the bones of another person. And one of the things she used to always say was if she loved someone, she'd say, I'd love the bones of you. And I think she did that with her, her characters. She, she wanted to love the bones of her characters yeah. and the work that she did. Yeah. I, I remember her, now that you say it, I remember mm-hmm. her using that phrase uh, to love the bones of someone. Um, she really did. I think it was about her family, her nephew, mm-hmm. friends, um, and and she meant it. Yeah, I, I think you know there was nothing half-hearted uh, about Nika whatsoever. Mm-hmm. It was all full, full steam ahead in terms of her <laughs> love for someone, in terms of a project. Um, she just didn't hold back. Next up, I spoke to Vibka von Karlsfeld, who worked with Nika on one of her larger roles as a young actress on her film Stay. Vibka spoke about the wonderful relationship that she and Nika cultivated on set and also the great relationships that Nika created with her cast and all the fun and mischief that she got up to in the cottages in Galway. I've heard so much about you for many Uh years because (laughs) Nika has always spoken of you so fondly and she absolutely loved working with you on stay and found you really inspirational and... um, so well, I really wanted was. to get you on because I just thought you'd be really great to hear about that time when she was making that film. Because I feel like for her, that was a really big job for her. You know, it was um, right. a really important milestone in her career, right. working with you on stay. Right. Yeah. Oh, uh, she was. So were you you're friends with her? Is that how you know yeah, her? Yeah. So uh, Nika yeah. and I met in drama school when we were okay. 20-ish, 21. Right. Um, 1920 she was a year younger than me um I didn't I didn't pursue acting for much longer I think I gave it five years and then I was like do you know what I don't want this right. world <laughs> and I'm, I'm actually uh, it's a tough world it it's a tough world suit my nature because I'm I'm a writer and I'm a voiceover and I prefer kind of being a bit behind the camera you know um right. where she kind of she was very dedicated to her craft and her passion but that's when I met yeah. her anyway. So we were friends for, you know, 15 years. Right. Right. Oh. Uh, I don't know. It's to me, it's just the saddest thing mm. that when she died, I, was, I mean, I knew that she had been sick as a kid mm. uh, and there was always something about it. that was kind of ephemeral. I mm-hmm. feel like there was something about her. Like she was special, like, but I mean that not in like special, special, like she was really, truly to me, she was a special person, like from the first time I met her. Uh, and you're totally right. She was so dedicated to her craft. 
I mean, she was all out. <laughs> you know, yeah. she she played a, a pregnant uh, girl in stay, so she, she got this belly and she put the belly on and she went with the belly to the to the hospital and she checked out how other how pregnant women walk and she adapted the walk like she was all in uh with this i mean that we had a baby like we had a well, we had a baby we had a couple of babies but we had uh, a puppet mm-hmm. and uh it was a very nice puppet and so the the production designer at first was a little hesitant but she really would wanted to take the the baby home, so she took the baby home and she <laughs> worked with the baby at home. Like that's just, she was just so into it and yeah. excited about it. And also, I feel she was extremely gifted um, for it. Uh, I think. I mean, first of all, she was gorgeous. Mm, I mean, she her was, eyes. Her eyes, her skin, like mm. what, what's going on behind her. I mean, she, I mean, I thought she was the standout in the film for me personally. I always thought she was going to be like Judy Dench. She's going to be like. That's so funny because <laughs> uh, someone else I'm going to speak to later who was our teacher in the gaiety said she was like a young Judy Dench when we were in college. So it's yeah. the funny thing that you've just mentioned that now again, because there's something I, I feel like she has so much, she had so much to give, yeah. so much more that she didn't get to show. Yeah, and I think it is partly because this industry is quite horrible. And, yeah. uh, you know, there is a thing about physicality. And I mean, she had a beautiful absolutely beautiful face but she did not have the scraw skinny figure figure which i don't mind because first of all i don't have it and second of all it worked for the part and also women don't are not all stick figures but there was always going to be and she knew that i think there was always was always going to be a bit of an uphill battle for that but if you look at Judy Dent she didn't become a big star until her 40s either mm-hmm. so I I kept saying to Nika just hang in there just keep going just honing your craft I'm sure your day will come and then sadly it didn't but it's such a loss because she really has a lot to give and I don't know if you've got a chance yeah. to see her um, latest film, which has just launched. It's called Wildfire. So I think this is kind of why Film Network Ireland asked me to do this podcast because they want to com- commemorate her life and work kind of in tandem with the launch of Wildfire. Wildfire is a film that she co-produced almost with the director, Kathy Brady, and her co-star, Nora Jane Noon. And they were working on it for uh, five years, uh, you know, on and off, yeah. trying to get... First, they they kind of did it inside out. They didn't have the script at first. They devised it all as a, as a threesome. And then Kathy went away and wrote the script. And then the film finally got made. As you know, filmmaking takes absolutely ages at times. So anyway, it's just now going on the circuit. It started, actually launched at Toronto, was the first place to show it. And it's been in London, Cork, Belfast, and it's going around Europe. So, and then I think it's going to cinema. Sorry, it was in Toronto this year? Yeah, it just, it just went to Toronto. Right. 
um, right. just launched this year, all virtual. Yeah, unfortunately, I, yeah, exactly. Unfortunately, nobody actually went. I mean, we mm -hmm. she came to Toronto for TIFF. Uh, I for know, Steve, yes, I remember. It was amazing. It was it was so great that she came and she had good crack. Yeah. <laughs> She did. She loved it. I remember she told me how much she loved going over there and just working with you and and um, her, she loved the cast. You mentioned earlier that she had a great relationship with her fellow actors on stay. Yes. Well, I mean, the, the one that she had the closest relationship with, I would say, was Barry Keegan. Uh, partly because, well, partly because they both stayed in the same cottage. We all stayed in little cottages in quite remote Connemara, and they, we bunked them up together. And uh, I don't even know. I guess she was a couple of years older than uh, Barry, but she almost took like a motherly role towards him. It was pretty hilarious. Uh, I think neither of them really knew much how to cook, uh, but there was all kinds of. <laughs> <laughs> food food related shenanigans going on with to do with brown sauce <laughs> Barry insisted on having brown sauce with everything and I think right. it was her mission to uh, tell him you could eat without brown sauce <laughs> <laughs> um, but they also had a few very nice scenes together uh, and they were great I mean they just both had the same it was kind of funny because they were sort of the younger of the cast and uh, they both were had the same dedication and hard work and kind of methods mm. the kind of you know approach to acting and I think they're completely um, um, related on that uh, in that account uh, she never had any interaction with uh, Taylor Schilling because they literally just passed in, in a bus. That's the only time they ever uh, interacted. And then, oh. of course, she did have a few scenes with um, with Aidan Quinn. Mm. Yeah. But I think the, the more memorable uh, moments for me were definitely with Barry. Though, mind you, there's a scene that she did with Aidan Quinn when, he, when she tells him that she uh, named the baby after his character and there's this sort of funny exchange like Dermot 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 <laughs> we had such a we had such a hard time with, in rehearsals and then on the day she just nailed it yeah I don't know she was great yeah she was great at uh, accents it me, yes but she was just oh she was great she's just she was a huge and I think it's partly because she had maybe, maybe because she had gone through sickness already and she had had health issues and she knew how precious life is that like there was something about her that was just when she committed to it, she was all in mm -hmm. and it was just, just a beauty. And it's not just in the work. It's like when you sit down with her and you have a laugh with her, like she mm -hmm. was all in, Absolutely. like there was like it wasn't sort of like oh yeah whatever and like you know and I met her a few years later in London and I don't know she's just she's it's heartbreaking that she is not with us anymore but I think of her a lot actually like I think of her quite often and yeah um, I think it's if you knew Nika it's hard to ever forget her because of the way she entered into a room a space and not in a kind of demanding attention way, just that it was her energy or her, you know, what she gave off. Again, it was that dedication 
to the moment I think that she brought to every interaction and every experience um, that she found herself in. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, she was not one. She was not a half-hearted one. No, <laughs> she was she was full-hearted, full-time, and I mean, she comes by it honestly too. Like her family is fantastic. I had the chance to meet them a couple of times, and they're just lovely, loving people. Like, mm. I, I, yeah, so I, close it's, it's, and so important to her and she kind of brought them everywhere with her even if she didn't physically bring them they were with her in every room or nearly all every conversation you know their bond yeah is so powerful will always be yeah oh for sure and I mean it's it's I'm I'm definitely gonna uh, check out Kathy's film because she she Nika talked about Kathy for years it was always Mm -hmm. Kathy Brady Kathy Brady Kathy Brady I was like What's this Kathy Brady? <laughs> um, so I'm really thrilled that this film was made. It was made, yeah. yeah. It was a really long road, but they, they got it out there. Unfortunately, Nika's not here to enjoy all the amazing reviews that sh- her work is getting and that the film is getting. Uh, but it's an amazing um, it's an amazing testament to her talent. Right. And it's a wonderful swan song and and just a piece that will remain for her where she's in you know leading a film co-starring right. leading a film with Nora Jane so who did, did, did what's the television series again that she was in it was Can't called cope, won't cope. Uh, cope is that was that also Kathy Brady or that's somebody else um Kathy Brady did the first season and the second season was Imogen Murphy and right. I, I spoke to her on Friday about Mika as well so yeah, that was that's a that's a whole other thing, you know. That is, uh, did you ever get to see that? Any of course, of course. Of course. Was, yeah, of course. it's it's brilliant, fun, lighthearted. Her and Shauna are amazing together on screen and off screen. They're a great pair of friends. Yeah. Um, so she has those legacies. Um, well, to me, she really was just at the beginning. Like, yeah. Oh. Of a very very long career, like to me, it was very obvious very quickly that she had it in her really to become a star. But I never thought she was going to be a young star. I always thought she was going to be, you know, a bit, you know, like just a little bit, like past forty maybe or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, just because of the nature of the business and the nature of the roles and the kind of person that she was. Um, Because even if she did get those roles, she probably wouldn't have taken them because she was very strong on the type of work she wanted to do. And she didn't want to compromise about uh, artistically in any way. You know, she, she made her choice. She knew what she wanted to do. She knew who she wanted to work with. She didn't just want to work for the sake of it. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think it comes partly, obviously, I think that's totally public knowledge that that Daniel Day-Lewis was living with her when she Mm -hmm. was young and the the conversations she had with him. And uh, quite frankly, one of my proudest moments is that apparently she told him that she was going to work with me and then he googled me and I was like oh my god (laughs) (laughs) but there's something in that dedication that clearly comes from that school of acting you know Mm -hmm. and being around the film world when she was younger and yeah 
yeah and, and that uh interest in you know story and character and reality and basing it in something that feels right for her mm. um i think that it, it clearly comes from, from that uh, background yes and probably also from having um a father who was in who was a world famous athlete and an athlete working at the top of his game that same singularity of focus and intention and dedication all day every day eat sleep breathe acting um i think that really came through her process and the way she worked would you agree yeah totally I, and it's actually interesting because i mean Barry was obviously a world class athlete but like when you look at him he doesn't he's he's not this huge boxer th- guy that you think like he's so he's also somebody that actually made a career a little bit against the odds mm-hmm. when you if you see the swing of his arm like the range of his arms you're like okay I understand this is not against odds um, I don't know <laughs> if Nika ever said this to you but she used to say this a lot and she it was something that her father used to always say to her it's not the it's not hang on let me get this right <laughs> I'm gonna mess it up it's not the size of the dog in the fight it's the size of the fight in the dog yeah <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah but I think you're totally right I think being the dog I and mean, I think it was I don't know I can't speak to that really but I would imagine that being the daughter of Nika uh, of Barry was both a blessing and a burden because quite frankly every time she was introduced to anybody she said oh my god you're Barry's daughter oh my god Barry's daughter so that could have to a lesser person that could have also been very difficult but mm-hmm. not to her like she was she embraced it and Absolutely. I think you're right and I think you're right she also used it in her work and used it in that idea that it's going to be a long haul because when I saw her the last time I saw her in London she had started working out a lot <laughs> and she was like and I was like uh you know what's going on are you okay and she's like yeah yeah I'm just I'm doing it I'm doing it I'm doing it and yeah. uh, I think she was in it for the long fight when you make a movie with somebody you get very close with them and of course the kind of conversations Nika and I had about her character <laughs> became very personal very fast and very intense and there was a real strong bonding for it between us mm-hmm. but then in the years since of course I did not see her much though I am very glad I looked her up when I was in London last and uh, she immediately said of course we'll meet and we had dinner together and, and of course her family popped by also <laughs> Yes, of course. <laughs> As they are want to do. <laughs> Just, I don't know where they are. <laughs> I mean, absolutely lovely, but hilarious. Um, so I don't know. I mean, I think it doesn't really make sense. I mean, I, I don't know. To me, it makes no sense. There's, it makes no sense. Oh, but there is a lesson and the lesson is to you know, seek out the ones we love and the, the ones we connect to and be kind. I mean, she was so kind. I mean, that's one of the big, I mean, behind the, all the talent and the mad energy she would have and all that stuff, but she was a truly kind person. Like, I don't know. 
just so quirky in the best sense of the word yeah. <laughs> you know yeah. like full of like full of full, full of fun stuff but I mean it, <laughs> which probably did come partly from having lived through such a difficult thing as she did so early in her life you yes know? I think I mean, so she didn't waste any time she when she loved someone or something she just threw herself into her friendships into her work into you know her favorite coffee you know even the smallest things you know her love of fashion the way she approached going to the gym um, you know where she wanted to go out she always wanted to taste embrace can you know consume life and really really experience life Actually, I almost forgot about it. I I was in uh, Ireland uh, for the premiere at the Dublin Film Festival, Mm -hmm. and that was a night. (laughs) That was truly a night. Were you drinking espresso martinis? Oh my god! I I wasn't. (laughs) She probably was. Exactly. No, I I don't. I don't mix those two things. I'm a a Puritan. (laughs) First espresso, then martini. but yeah, no, that was a real night. She was just, uh, yeah. I mean, there's something sometimes with, actually often with uh, female characters in films, like I think for male director, it's probably the male characters, but for a woman director, it's probably in the female characters. There is something like a younger self mm-hmm. in them. Um, so in Stay, it was to some degree, certainly in Taylor Schilling's character, which is the lead character, but to a large degree, uh, it was in Nika. And it's like an identification that goes on between the director and an actor, especially if the actor is as good and as open and as emotionally attuned and sensitive as her. Mm-hmm. You can't deny it. Like there is something like the, you project your younger self onto this gorgeous person and imagine your life... You know what I mean? Like there's some weird sort of symbiosis that happens between yes. actor uh, and director and that certainly happened with Nika. Yeah. yeah. I know. It's horrible <laughs> that we're even having this podcast. This yes. har- it's yeah. wonderful that we're doing it, but it's horrible at the same time that we are talking about her and she's not here to join in the conversation with her. Right. Ridiculously laugh. loud <laughs> laugh. <laughs> Oh my god! <laughs> yeah, no, she's like a, such a weird mixture too of like, I mean, in some regards, she's a total class act, but then also she could be completely crass and ridiculous, yes. and such a tomboy <laughs> in some senses, yeah. and then oh, totally. so elegant at the same time. Just yeah, yeah, no, such no. a unique well, person. Yeah. Well, what I'm was your What was your first impression of her? Uh, uh, well, uh, you know, I, I can't be a hundred percent sure because I, we were casting and we were casting, uh, oh, actually, no, I do remember what my first impression of her was. Um, we were casting this part, uh, and of course we looked at a bunch of actresses from, uh, Dublin, but, uh, Nika, heard about it and sent in the self-tape now the funny thing is that I always said I hate self-tapes and I'm never hiring anybody of self-tape well, obviously <laughs> I hired Nika and uh, in fact Barry also sent in a uh, 
self-tape so both Barry and Nika were hired of self-tape but she <laughs> sent she sent it to me and she was in London uh, uh, and I looked at it and I was like oh my god I really don't like self-tapes but this is good like there's something about this girl that is different and she looks different and she has something about I really like it and so she flew herself to Dublin for an in-person I mean we did pay her something but mm-hmm. you know, it was her own initiative uh, that she came to Dublin for an in-person um, uh, audition and so I saw her and I really really liked her a lot and then we did uh, we did one of those weird things where you match up the potential women with the potential guys because mm-hmm. I wanted to make sure uh, it was with Brian um, oh yes uh, Brian oh my god uh, I know, I know who you mean, and we should know this. It's it's a free Bre- Bre- Brendan. Bre- my God, Gleason, Gleason, Green Gleason. So we did uh, a miss a match uh, session because I, because she was like they were had a very intimate relationship in the film, but they were going to have only one scene together. So I felt it was super important that there's chemistry between the two of them mm-hmm. uh, without speaking. Mm. Like it had to have good chemistry, so we we I don't know I had Nika meet four different guys, and I had maybe four guys meet four different women. I like I had to remember how many it was, but it was as soon as they sat down, it was like that's it. It was there, like to me, it was like right there. Uh, so yeah, yeah. But the first impression actually was a self tape, which I always said I'm not gonna do it, and. Sure enough, I did. (laughs) I have two more questions. And I know you probably need to get on and do your, uh, you're writing another book, are you? Because yes, whereabouts are you in your process? Oh, very early. I have seven pages. (laughs) (laughs) That's better than none. (laughs) You're a writer, you know, right? Yeah. it is considerably better than none. So sometimes if you just have a paragraph, that's all you need yeah. to link the next bit on. Yeah, well, that's it. Uh, you know, I know where I'm going to start. I've done a lot of research. It's a historical novel. It's a very, it's a big oh, departure. Oh, yeah, that's a big undertaking. Yeah. So it's like, there's a lot of research. There's a lot. Of, and it's like, I don't even know how to organize it all in my head. I think I just, anyways. Uh, yeah, I have seven pages of it, but... Uh, uh, I'm trying to well I'm also trying to make another film so I mean there's that <laughs> oh is it one you've written as well uh one that I've written and the producer's just looking at it and another one that a friend of mine is writing for me to direct mm. and then my uh, my book Claremont was just optioned by uh Jeremy Pudeswa who oh, actually wow. he was in he was in Ireland doing Game of Thrones oh that's amazing yeah, and he's done The Handmaid's Tales, and he's like, he's he started, he also did three feature, or well, four, anyways, I edited three of his feature films. Wow. And, uh, but he got his start in TV in Six Feet Under. Yeah, and I think my book, it's 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 in that, like Claremont is in that uh, vein, so, but yeah, so that's, that's like the latest news. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, it was publicized on Friday, so it's it is brand new. <laughs> that's amazing! Congratulations. I mean, yeah, anything that's an amazing win. But I think, especially now, when everything feels very 
close down and tighten like only very few things are being made must be really I mean it's it's I mean you know it's been optioned Mm -hmm. which you know I know it's just a potential (laughs) but still (laughs) it's it's just uh but I mean I think he's very well positioned uh uh, it would be the first one that he initiates to be serious so Mm. I think uh so it'll be good yeah but yeah so I do try to do I mean that's one of the great things about being a writer and as you said being like behind the scenes that you have more control and I think that was one of the things that was really hard for Nika Mm -hmm. not to have control and not to be able to which is why it's so great that she made that film with Kathy because I think her connection with Kathy was one way for her to take a little bit more control of her career um and oh gosh, would I have loved to make another film with Nika? I mean, yeah. What what could you imagine? What kind of a role could you imagine her doing next? That's a good question. I don't know. I think she. I think she could have. She. I don't know. I think she. I mean, it is a tricky one because, yeah, I don't know. Um, I don't know. I didn't write something for her just a second. So, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think there's like a character like her in my films, but uh, I mean, it would have had to be specifically for her. Yeah. yeah. And maybe that's why it took her a little more time to really get her foothold in the industry because she's so unique. And it was very difficult, I think, for her to kind of force her way into some roles that were written because a lot of them don't have maybe the multi-dimensionality and depth that she requires and right. yeah but it's like yeah but I mean actors it's like for example my first film um I had Ellen Page like oh. I great so so I discovered her you know her first film was my first film and that's she's also an actress she's totally different than Nika but she's like Nika and that she's amazingly talented um but it doesn't work for all roles you mm-hmm. can't cast her and everything either so it takes time and it takes dedication and I think Nika had it she had the dedication she just didn't have the time Mm. Um, uh, for for those kind of well, and find their roles, and mm. because because film is so dominated by males, still the kind of roles that are there for women often are romantic, and they're often it's are, actually why I left the industry. One of the main reasons I couldn't stand, you know, ninety percent of the scripts I got, and then she takes her clothes off. But why, you know, there was no reason for me to yeah. be the sex scene there you know and I used yeah. to hate it yeah well rightfully so because yeah. it's like I mean I'm no prude but it's like why is it always the girl that takes off her clothes I mean so the saver film I made after stay is about a 16 year old girl and she has no love interest and I mean I did that on purpose because mm-hmm. I I it's like I'm sick and tired of why do all films around young women involve love interests. I mean, love is an important part of everybody's life, obviously, but it's there's other aspects to it. And so I think for people like Nika, who 
I mean, she could have played a love interest, but I don't know that she would have been that great at it. And I don't think her heart would have like she yes. she had other she had other there's other stuff going on with her that was stronger and more interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but I don't know that there are that many roles written for young women like that. And maybe that's why I thought when she gets older, she's going to have a bigger. Mm-hmm role because then you can play activists and you can play you can play all yeah. kinds of like the kind of Judy Dench characters yeah. you know but it's like maybe that's why she seemed to gravitate towards working with authors like yourself and Kathy who wrote and direct and have a world complete you know within what they're creating as opposed to something that's being churned out for the sake of consumption if you know what I mean yeah, well, I think it's that, but it's also the kind of role, like even the part that she has in Stay, uh, she, you know, she's a pregnant uh, person, but she has a very unique way of going about it. And she's very proud and she doesn't tell the father that she's even pregnant. <laughs> like she's, you know, like she has a very unique uh, way of dealing with the situation that has been dealt to her or that Mm -hmm. she got herself into so it's she's not like a love interest at all like she is the interest and actually the male is the love interest Mm. Uh, so I think that's but then you know in a male written uh film you're not going to get that that often I mean they exist but it's just not that it's not it's not the same it's not necessarily seen through the female lens so harder for it to be as fully realized maybe yeah for sure yeah I wanted to ask you you've probably already answered this but maybe this can be the last question what was what was it like working with Nika and how her process melded with yours you've probably answered this a bit but right well I loved working with Nika um Partly because I love working with people that love working. <laughs> uh, I love working with people like I love. I love working with actors. It's my favorite part of the filmmaking process. Mm-hmm. Casting, I love casting, uh, but then working with actors, I just I think it's they're the most courageous, uh, incredible, super sensitive uh, humans uh, that put themselves out there in such peril. I mean, you know they. I mean, they don't fight fires, but, you know, they they expose themselves in a very uh, fundamental way. And Nika certainly did that. Mm-hmm. Um, and she was just fearless uh, in that regard. Um, so working with her was great because, I mean, she I think it may have been one of her first bigger roles. Yeah, it was. Uh, yeah. But she worked really hard on it and she ask question when she needed to and when she didn't she just did her thing uh and uh yeah no she was she was a total pro even though she hadn't wasn't really a pro but she yeah you know what I mean like she just had uh, that that way of approaching life from the beginning 
Yeah, and I mean, I think she knew, and that's probably why we connected. She knew she was always going to be safe with me, and there was not going to be anybody like messing with her, and nobody did. Yeah, and I would have never let that happen. And because of that, I think she also opened herself up and made herself completely vulnerable. Mm. Actually, there's one story that is kind of bizarre. There is a moment in the film where she walks around her dead mother's uh, house with a baby and she finds something that makes her realize that her mother knew. Um, And in the final film, we uh, put a song over the sequence called Blackbird by Lisa Hannigan. And then um, Nika saw the film and she was like, Vipka, I listened to that song on my headphones getting ready for that scene. And I'm like, "Uh, what? So that's, I think, the kind of connection we had, right? Like, I had no idea. I mean, I don't even know how I found out about Lisa Hannigan, but (laughs) that particular song. But there was something about her in that moment that was just so right. And Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, so that's what it was like working with her. (laughs) Finally, uh, reversing the order a little bit, I went back to the beginning and spoke to Cahill J. Quinn from then the Gaiety School of Acting when it was in Meeting House Square sometime around 2004 to around 2006 when Nika and I, when we were learning the ropes of acting, Cahill spoke about his first impressions of Nika, what it was like teaching her and working with her and um, and some of the confidence issues that she had to work through before moving out into the world of film. Cahill speaks of Nika's vibrant eyes, her quirkiness and humour and her somewhat unorthodox and bold approach to performance. It's a lovely idea from Film Network Ireland, so I thought you'd be great to talk about her back then, you know, when she was first embarking on a career as an actress and we we met her at the same time so 2004 I think was that year so we would have both met Nika uh, at the same time probably I think you were were you our first class or was it Maureen no voice Um, was always the first well if yeah maybe certainly maybe one of the first that week anyway you know there's only four times a week (laughs) too much of me but uh (laughs) yes I, I I distinctly remember Nika yeah. You couldn't take your eyes off her. You must have those eyes. Yeah, Ooh, what was your yeah. first impression of her? The eyes. Mm. The mouth was always open. It's always ready. It's always looking for the next, towards the next, towards the next. I had no idea she was 17. I could not guess her age because she was ageless. When I met her again, you know, during the uh, Can't Cook, Won't Cook, that sort of time there, it wasn't too long ago, she did not look one iota different. Mm. Not one. I owe to all difference. She's ageless. So I didn't know she was 17 when she was 17. I had no idea she was 31, 32 when I saw her again. Mm. And, you know, she just wasn't seem like a gap between them at all, just even more confidence. But at 17, she was pretty damn confident. So the eyes were astonishing. And uh, she held your gaze, piercing eyes, mouth always open. And the only thing about it at the time, which was imperfect, was she was always in a hurry. Mm. When she spoke, she was always in a hurry. I didn't realise that we were 17, what I was going to do. But the idea was that uh, that was my job, to try and get her to slow down, to let the good work come out, rather than just be staying in the brain. But, and also, you can realise why she was in a hurry. First of all, she's still at school. 
to go mm. back and do her A-levels. That's how young she was. And, and the other how thing certain was, she was that that's what she wanted to do. Well, absolutely. She was hungry for that too, which is very interesting indeed. But she, uh, I was going to say about it, um, I think it's because she'd been ill when she was younger. She never really spoke about it, certainly not to me much about it. She had this little scar at the top of her sternum. She never tried to hide it. It was always there, part of her, like the eyes, just mm. part of her. Never really spoke about it, but it was always there as a little, little reminder of where she'd come from. I think she was 11, 13, yes. she had leukemia. Yeah. That it fight. was over the period of a few years that she fought us. Yes. Yeah. Honestly, to that fight that she'd, she'd overcome. So she was then impatient to grab life, absolutely grab it. So hungry for it, and hungry for progress, hungry for more all the time. So that was fascinating. There was always that, that, that need to do more. And now, mm. so that was the thing about being in a bit of a hurry at the beginning. I'm trying to get her to slow down and enjoy each, each moment of a poem, etc. When she was in a hurry to get to the next bit. Yeah, but I remember once when I was uh, doing an Ivan Bolin poem, and it wasn't uh, one you did. It was earlier on. We were doing some classwork, and it was anorexia. Yes. I said, oh yes, we had this up in our in our. Yes, that's right. It was in the um, sick room. Mm. We had this box oh. with so many girls who were you know, worried about body dysmorphia, etc. Wasn't her. That wasn't her at all. But she said, there was that. Actually, you already knew the poem. And at 17, it's very mature of her to know that and realise it's there and then recognise it again when we looked at it. So I remember that. Um, she's a bit quirky. Hmm. Do you remember her political, political piece, political speech? Oh, yes. I remember us standing in various locations and meeting House Square. You know, freedom of speech, I mean, you can say anything. This was 2004, 2005, so it was uh, a bit after 2001. It was still very, very controversial outdoors. Inside, people could say what they wanted to say and look at it from different arguments, from perspectives, etc. But when we went to do it outdoors, there happened to be the police around that day. <laughs> so I said, for well, the you don't get arrested, why don't you, anything that's even slightly controversial, just whisper that in somebody's ear. Everyone else is out there standing around the place and orating. More than half the speech, you had to stop. And whisper in someone's ears, one individual's ear, and then come back and do the speech again. And then, okay, it's just too controversial, what she was saying. For the public here. Now, again, in, in a drama school, you explore every argument. But in this case, it was a bit dodgy, especially when the guards were around that day. <laughs> <laughs> that was something that was, that was very quirky. And um, But also, remember, unassuming and yet very hungry, unpretentious. And she was dedicated, really dedicated. Mm. I remember bringing up, in my usual talk, about dedication in in class and saying just how hard you have to work to make it look easy. And she was saying, then that's the only time she really spoke about her dad. And I remember she's saying that uh, she'd wake up early in the morning and she thinks she's the first one up and her dad would be coming back from the job. He'd been out for hours mm. and hours. And that was the dedication it took. It wasn't related to boxing, but it was related to boxing. The idea of stamina, um, that it took to become a world champion. And so she could relate to it by seeing her dad, by example of that. Because, you know, something really spoke about. She was there for her, for her progress and her niche that she was carving in her life. And she did very well with that. So that was interesting that then, and of course, he came down quite a few times to see her, see how she was going, etc. But um, she didn't have to mention it. That she was her own self. Nika. Rather than Nika McGuigan, she was Nika. Yeah. Did that as well. So that, that was very important to her. Tell her that energy does not mean speed. I think it was very important to breathe lower, feel more grounded, get her breath down into a center and trust her own body again. And I think she did that. She achieved it. 
<laughs> but it did make me laugh. I'd say that's probably why I remember it so much because she, again, she listened very well. She took that on board. She stayed out of jail. So much going on behind those eyes, those crystal clear blue eyes, light blue eyes. And she had a knack for the camera because mm. she had a stillness. Mm. You stand there and you count it. There's real power in that. And of course, that helped her with working camera as well. And uh, she did so much with those eyes. Then she was flying out of all the directions, but then she learned how to harness it and become that thing even stiller than she was before. It was great. Throughout her own niche after she graduated, she did small things, did some short films and she had to start, pick up and get, get used to that time in front of the camera and then she started mm. to get main roles. A couple of times she came and did some workshops and things. Brilliant actors. Yeah. Wow, really good. fantastic. Doing together, very fun. They're fantastic. Yeah, they're <laughs> sisters in this film and it's a border. I get interesting returning to the border for her final film. Something poetic yes. about that. Well, the thing about her accent, I mean, she had such an English accent, going to Benetton, you know, the very, very posh modern RP. And yet she just, she knew where she was from. She had that groundedness. She could turn on an Irish accent in turn of six. Yeah. And very well, very convincing too. She had Absolutely. to do the court part too. She just had a good ear for that. Just you know, immediately just switch. And yet she never changed, ever. As well, again, this, 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 the look, I'd never seen a change. I went from a parting here to a parting there or something. That was it. <laughs> that radius, those high cheekbones, that uh, translucent eyes, that confidence, that's what grew. And yes. you could see that more and more and more. And you got the camera, I'd loved her. And she got more and more and more comfortable in front of that camera and being as true as she possibly could. But the energy then shone very dynamically, which is great to watch, very exciting to watch. Yeah, what what did you see her, you know, when, when we were doing our final play in the gate on the stage, um, yeah, what yeah. would you have projected for her? And then how did that line up with how her career unfolded? It's a very good point. I think, again, I saw camera, camera work because of the stillness. And quirkiness as well has never lost her, so she had a good sense of humour, and that was the thing that she can bring again on the camera, really quite fun to watch. And the laugh was a bit like Judy Dench's too, so that was deep and husky, so that was lovely too. So I remember that. you saying that to her once we were doing a Shakespeare class. You said to her that she was like a young Judy Dench. Ah, well, that was a big compliment. Mm, it was. <laughs> it was, but I always yeah. remembered it. Well, thank you for remembering, because I can't remember saying it, but I can think it now. I said, obviously, it was true. I'll tell you, it wasn't mine. This idea of just thinking there were, there was, uh, that the huskiness in that voice. I think it reminded me of her as well. Mm. But the stillness and the confidence in front of being there looked at. I can't believe that from 17 to 19 is when, when we touched, you know, our life touched closely for those those two very, very intense years of four days a week. Yeah, so I, I saw camera work, and I think more than anything else, because I think because the camera, the camera uh, she was so good at being still and energized still, mm. not just, you know, wet cloth and that was just there was so much going on mm. and again that having that illness earlier in the life to be that strength and determination and that, the combination of that dedication to to her own path that she got from her father she'd seen in her father but she had it in her herself in her own way marvelous and she cut um too short mm. very sad i really feel for the family too with the you know you don't want to lose a child Never, no matter if it's a 33-year-old child, you never want to lose a child. So, I mean, I have two grown-up children, well, 18 and 15 are mine now. So, so more to say about Nika. Well, these, these are my memories, mm -hmm. and again, very strong memories. 
I wanted to ask you, how did you find working with her as a student and then also how she worked as part of the group? Right. So as a student, again, she listened. Now, initially, it reluctant me when I first started to try and get her to slow down and look at some of these, uh, these new ways of spe- using your speech. And she's um, a very modern speaker. Uh, once she adjusted to that, I think she was absolutely fine. But she was just a very good listener. I had no problems with her at all because she did that. She took things on, she listened, she absorbed, she went deep with it, then she came out again with something new. So I found her, again, a pleasure to teach. She just, she, again, she had the hunger and you could see it in her. And she was very, very young. So it's going to take a while for it to really permeate mm. deeply, really deep, you know, um, to, to go beyond the brain and into the soul so that, you know, the confidence would come out with that. And she had confidence, but it got better and better as she went along. I think so. You know, it was a big ask at seventeen to go into a drama school, especially the one of that intensity. Yeah, That's the thing. So she learned in small. But she kept training even when she left. She kept training. She, um, she did. was training in London with a um, a New York acting coach uh, whose name yeah. escapes me, and then she went to the factory and trained there. Yes. Yeah. That's right. So it was another year there, another mm-hmm. intensity in camera work, unsurprisingly. Yeah. Because that was, I think, that's where she would always go for another thing. Yes. She did. Look. So it's an arresting look. So, yes, again, it's never enough. There's always more to learn. And then you learn on the job as well. Mm-hmm. So I think it was very wise to do that because I think the camera called her. Absolutely. It was what she always wanted. She didn't have the same passion for theatre. She did do a bit of theatre when she left, but she just didn't have yeah. the same passion for it no. as she did for film. I think you can understand that. You could see that. And, uh, and do you think that it maybe appealed to Nika or suited Nika better to work in film because she had this ability yeah. to really occupy the present moment? I agree. Absolutely agree. And again, that listening power and those eyes taking things in. Yeah, I, I agree. I think mm. there's something very intense about that. So, yes, yeah, she'd be in a, a group of two or a three shot. You couldn't take her eyes off her. That's with other people. Absolutely. <laughs> But I totally agree. I always felt like that yeah. about her. You know, she just had such a uniqueness and uh, an ability, not not that she sought attention, but an ability to command attention. Absolutely agree. Same point. Yeah, the idea of seeing stealing, but not deliberately seeing stealing. Mm. It's just you couldn't take your eyes of what her reaction would be. Because it was always, it went in a bit deeper. She had more time to reflect upon it before she came out with something. Oh, and it was very rare that she came up with something quicker, which again she learned over time. She picked that up because she was very quick before, certainly in speaking, breathing. But then the breathing came down, she trusted her body more. She got more and more grounded as well. You could see that. Mm. And more and more interesting to watch. You couldn't take your eyes off the eyes, but then more and more interesting to watch the whole body just react, respond. In fact, respond better than react, actually. Something deeper going. So that's a good point. Very good point. I wonder, you know, having seen her through those early stages and seen her develop through drama school and then probably keeping an eye on some of her work over the years, if she was still with us, what could you, what kind of a role could you imagine her taking on next? Well, she's so versatile with the Irish and the English. Very few people actually do both of those so well, so naturally. I wouldn't know, because again, I wouldn't know because you never knew she was 33. You just couldn't tell what age she was. There was no, she could be 33, she could be 23, she could be anything in between, and she could maybe play a 40 year old if she believed it. So I don't know what was next, because this film could have opened up a huge amount for her. 
Yeah. That's 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 the tragedy of it. And it could have gone again with the same writer. She could have gone to America with this. Depends on how well it catches on. You know, that's the tragedy of it. Where who knows where she would have gone next? And it could have been in England. Was she still living in London? Yes, she was. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So it could have been. This would have taken off again. I think it will take off in Britain too. So it's a very hard question to answer. But I would say that the future would have been more screen. And again, even more, say Netflix type. Uh, films uh, than actual films and big screen films as well. So, but I have no doubt. I think she would have gone and graduated on to more and more screen work. Mm. Uh, of again, each time it got a little bit more important, a little bit more important what she did. Yeah, a little bit more and more time in front of the camera, and mm. uh, I think she was enjoying that. that Absolutely, moment. she was, and Constantly. and she really got to flex her all her muscles and all the work that she's put in over the years in in wildfire and when you do yeah. get a chance to watch it i think um you'll definitely be impressed by her accent anyway even though i know yeah. you already were but because she's um she's playing a border character i think they're they're from oma yeah and the stretch for nora too because nora jane's always mm. yeah she's fantastic in it as well they're amazing together really they are yeah and they play oh. with the idea of symbiosis and um uh, shared psychosis and an intergenerational trauma. It's very fascinating. Very Larry. It is. And lovely. Yeah. So it's worth those five years of, of writing to get something that deep. Yeah. Mm, uh, I will I'll watch it. I'll actually try and see it in the cinema or whenever it comes. Yes. On a general. Well, oh, thanks, Remy. Thank you so much for coming on and chatting to me about this. It's going to be great to have your voice remembering her at that time and, you know, uh, when we were young. This memory is from Nika's former fellow student, Imer O'Grady. Like a glass of fizzy vitamin C, Nika made you feel vibrant when she was around. I remember skipping through a cold, wintry Dublin, tucked up in scarves, linked arms and silly giggles, knee-slapping fantastical conversations with impish winks and joyful expletives filled some of our time. She also had the fantastic ability to still you with simple truths and wisdom that was beyond her years. This is a memory from Naomi Mulholland, who was one of Nika's classmates in the Gaiety School of Acting. She says, My favourite thing about Nika, and what I will always remember her for, was her enormous enthusiasm and the love she had for performing and creating. Amazingly, that level of energy she showed up with on day one of drama school didn't seem to wane throughout her career. When you worked with Nika, you knew she came prepared. She came with an open mind, ready to learn and willing to take risks. She just always gave 100% of herself. We were all passionate young actors, but Nika really backed up her passion with incredible discipline and work ethic. I don't remember Nika ever having an off day, a tired day or a hungover day throughout our two years studying together. She was a girl totally focused on her goals, a very gifted and talented performer, but she was also a really hard worker and it was a pleasure to see that stand to her as her success grew. I am lucky to have got the chance to both work with Nika and call her my friend. I am better for having known her. Nika was quirky too. When we were doing our political speeches, of course we were inside and it was fine, so we were free speech completely, she chose Osama bin Laden. <laughs> well, 
in the rehearsal rooms, that was working very well because it was an interesting young person choosing to speak only a few years after the Twin Towers, but from a different perspective, and it was great to, to hear that. But we also had to do them outside in Meeting House Square, uh, straight outside of the, of the gaiety, where it was at the time. And, of course, on the particular day that we decided to do them, the cops were about. So these guards are walking around, and I was worried she might get arrested because a lot of it was controversial. So I advised her to stay out of jail by whispering anything that may be deemed too controversial to one person in their ear. And so she'd start a sentence, and then <laughs> at least half of the speech she'd be whispering in different people's ears, which didn't sort of... I belied the, the whole idea of it. But that was the way. Then was the breaks. My name's Julie and I met Nika in at the Gaiety School uh, of Acting. Um, yeah, Nika was 16 when she started there and I was uh, one of the older ones. I was 24, very old. And um, I, what I remember about Nika is just just what a force of energy she was and how focused she was and not to be patronising, but for her for her age, and you always knew when Nika was up presenting, it was going to be good. Um, we were once partnered to do uh, a mind piece. We both like to do kind of things that were a little bit kind of different, um, and I don't know why we chose to do a mind piece to Led Zeppelin. <laughs> okay, take two. <laughs> Hi, Rems. So my wee memory of Nika is um, I remember there was a journalist coming in to do a little article on the Gaiety School and the students. So she came in to talk to us and to observe us in class and everything. So, um, yeah, she was just talking to different students and stuff. And then at one point she was talking to Nika and she obviously figured out that Nika was Barry McGuigan's daughter. And of course, she latched on to this and started um, bombarding Nika with questions and questions. And myself and Sarah Buckley, who I called Buckers, um, I remember the two of us looked over and it nearly looked like the journalist had per Nika cornered and um, was asking her all these questions. And Nika nearly looked half afraid. So myself and Buckers decided that we would somehow distract the journalist away from Nika. So uh, we went over to the journalist and we said, hey, look at us, look what we can do. Um, so the journalist turned around and we started doing cartwheels <laughs> and um, we started acting like two clowns because at the time we were doing a piece for a mime class where we were acting as clowns. So we started acting like clowns and tumbling around on the floor and doing cartwheels while Nika managed to sneak off in the background. Um, and she was she was very, uh, she was happy that we had done that. But anyway, when the article came out about a week or two later, I remember... We read it and it was describing Nika as um, a lovely, quiet, gentle girl, which she was. Uh, but then it went on to um, talk about how her classmates did uh, were did not like how she took the limelight and uh, how they distracted the journalist from Nika just to tumble around the floor and basically show off so Nika couldn't get the attention. Um, it was very funny because it really did show... 
myself and Sarah Buckley in a, a bad light and it looked like we were nearly jealous of the attention that Nika was getting but it was uh, just actually to save per Nika from um, the journalists so we didn't we didn't mind being Sean in, in a bad light um, yes yeah, so that's my wee memory of Nika I hope this Film Network Ireland podcast inspires anyone who has yet to enjoy the light that is Nika McGuigan to seek out her work or to watch The Magnificent Wildfire when it goes to cinema, hopefully in 2021. Thank you for listening. For updates on Wildfire, please visit screenireland.ie. And for more from Film Network Ireland, please visit Film Network Ireland on Facebook or at FNI underscore film on Twitter. And if you haven't yet had the pleasure of watching Shauna and Nika together in Can't Cope, Won't Cope, you can watch it on the BBC iPlayer, if you're lucky enough to live in BBC iPlayer territory, and on Netflix worldwide. If you wish to make a donation in honour of Nika, please visit clicksargent.org.uk. And for more from me, visit remymichelleclark.com. This show is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network, a hub for the creative and the curious. Shows are produced in association with Headstuff and the Podcast Studios Dublin. Find out more or become a member at headstuffpodcasts.com. Hello, Joe Rooney here. Back in 2015, I recorded my first pod Rooney. And since then, I've been chatting to people that I meet throughout my travels here and there all over the world including Sean Locke, Mary Coughlin, Frank Kelly, Joanne McAnally, Owen Colgan, Shazia Mertza, Aidan Gillen and Kautia Reardon, but loads of people you'd never heard of who have very interesting tales to tell, including the sadly no longer with us Boston-based comedian Barry Crimmins, who led a crusade against images of child abuse on the internet, Tracy Carroll, whose daughter Willow has the highest grade of cerebral palsy, Drada Homeless Aid, Christine Volset, a Norwegian singer-documentary maker who... Ended up hanging out with the young lads in inner city Dublin and riding bareback on a horse through the city streets. All these very interesting tales to tell and all you have to do is skip the first six minutes of me talking rubbish. That's Potteroni.